You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. morning forefront <laughs> the little bit of static didn't wake you up I don't know what did it is good to be here um, for those of you joining online thanks for joining um, for those of us here I gotta tell you it's just nice to be back in the roulette isn't it yeah um, so I I was really excited to be here with you today I think the last time I was here I was trying to think through this I actually forgot the last time I was here which was last summer um, so it's, it's been quite some time. You know, COVID, everything blends together. Um, so I'm just, I'm really excited to be here with you today and to share something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I, I want to start by sharing with you really a realignment that I experienced in my life a few years ago. Now, this is before COVID. I think it's safe to say we've all experienced some sort of realignment during COVID. Um, I'm going to go back a little bit further. Uh, specifically about four and a half years ago, which was when I had my first date with the person who ended up becoming my husband. And we met for the first time. Now, I'm not going to tell you a whole lot about that, but what I'm going to tell you about is we met for our first date just a few days before I was getting ready to leave for a vacation to Provincetown to kick off the summer for Fourth of July week. And I was so excited about vacation. For those of you who know me, um, Fourth of July week in Provincetown is quite possibly my favorite week of the year. I look forward to this all year. And um, <clears throat> Provincetown for me, you see, is a very, very special place. And it's, for me, a place that you can go to relax. It's on the northern tip of Cape Cod. So it's uh, out of the city, away from normal life. There's a lot of nature uh, it's a place where you can just go and, and hang out on beautiful beaches or by the pool and relax with your friends and make new friends. It's also, for me, a special place because it was the first place that I was able to go and um, just be an out man with no reservation. Um, it's embraced there. It's, it's a very gay and lesbian-friendly town. And so... For me, Provincetown is just really a place to go and disconnect. Four and a half years ago, something, something different had happened this particular summer, though. And uh, meeting Nelson was very exciting. Um, Nelson is my husband now. Uh, and so here I was. I was in Provincetown, enjoying with my friends this week. I look forward to all year trying to disconnect and... Whenever a message would arrive and my phone would buzz, I would drop everything and pick it up and look at it and respond. I was so excited every single time my phone buzzed to look at it. I was definitely not disconnecting. We've all been there, right? Yeah. Well, as we kept dating, 
Do you know how my friends knew pretty quickly that it was probably going to go serious? Before I was even, we dated for a year before I even let myself go there. Before I even really kind of thought about longer term. My friends knew pretty quickly, and do you know how? It was by my actions. I would pick up the phone and answer whenever he called. I'd immediately respond to a text message even if I was busy. I'd talk about him, right? So this was kind of a a nail-on-the-head kind of situation. So I lived at this time in a neighborhood in Manhattan called Hell's Kitchen. And for those of us that live here in the city, you know, we've got these jokes about dating cross borough because it's just so hard to get there, right? Well, those of us that lived in Hell's Kitchen took it to another extreme, and most of us, not all of us, but most of us, at least in my friend circle, we all had a rule that we would not date anybody that lived more than two subway stops away. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, okay? So I broke this rule with Nelson. Uh... In all fairness, though, he lived on the Upper East Side, so it was only three subway stops. That's how I justified it. Um, But my friends saw this, right? It was my actions. We've all been there, right? Phone buzzing, the excitement, our, our lives realign. Maybe it was a significant other you met. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was a new friend you met. But haven't we all just had a time where we've excitedly picked up our phone for a text message even if we're in the middle of a seriously intense project with a deadline at work or we're at, at dinner with friends, our best friends we haven't seen forever, we pick up the phone, right? Why would we pick up our phones? We've all been there. It's because the excitement of whatever it was or whoever it was caught our attention. Our focus shifted. Actions speak louder than words, right? We all say that. When those things entered our lives, we found ourselves realigning our actions, didn't we? We'd we'd pick up. Today we're going to look at two passages. Um, We're not going to spend a ton of time in either passage, but we are going to look at both of them, and together they really reveal just how beautifully God can use us when he is a priority in our lives, in our hearts, our time, and our actions. We're going to start in the book of Luke. In chapters 20 through 21, Jesus and the religious leaders are, we find them locked in this confrontation. And we're not going to spend a time on the whole, the whole section Uh, But in this section, there's kind of this cycle going on where Jesus teaches something, the religious leaders don't like it, so they attack him, trying to discredit him. In response, he introduces a new radical teaching, um, and then they really don't like that, so they try harder to to pin him to the wall on something else and discredit him there. And there's this this cycle going on in these couple of chapters. What I want to focus on, though, in a very short passage sandwiched right in the middle of all of that. So let's look, let's look at Luke 21, 1 through 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. 
Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All of these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, other translations sometimes call these two small copper coins mites. You may have heard about the widow's mites before, somewhere. That's this passage. Now let's think about this for a moment. Jesus is in the temple, watching these people put in donations. When compared to the donations made by the rich, this widow's gift, these two small copper coins, probably seemed completely insignificant. It was probably not even a drop in the bucket, to be honest. Can we see that? Right? However, it was the widow's gift that Jesus focused on. Warren Wearsby, who was an author and wrote one of my favorite biblical commentaries, writes, When it comes to our giving, God sees more than the portion. He sees the proportion. This widow's focus was on God, and we can see that through her gift. Actions speak louder than words. She entrusted God with all that she had. Certainly more than the rich who were giving gifts out of their wealth. So think about this, all right? What was probably seen as a really insignificant donation by many at that time has, has been used by God in untold ways, incredible ways. Look at the fact that I'm standing here preaching about this today. This is 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about this. Millions and even billions, billions of people over thousands of years have been blessed by this story of her act of giving. They've been encouraged by it. They've been inspired by it. Not so insignificant in the eyes of the kingdom, is it? Winston Churchill was prime minister of England during World War II. He once said, we make a living by what we get. We make a living by what we get. But we make a life by what we give. A little closer to home for us, Maya Angelou, a well-known African-American author and poet. Most of us, if not all of us, are probably very familiar with who she is. Once said, I've learned that you shouldn't go through life with a catcher's mitt on both hands. You need to be able to throw something back. Love that. Well, let's look at another story that we're all very familiar with probably. And that's the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew 14, 13 through 21 is, as I mentioned, probably very familiar to us. Those who grew up in the church, those that didn't. You're probably going to recognize a portion of this passage. So let's start and read. Verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Let's pause. What happened before this? Because it clearly references something here. Well, just before this passage, Jesus had found out that John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. He was killed. John the Baptist was like a brother to Jesus. 
So Jesus here was withdrawing because he was mourning. Now, I lost my best friend of 27 years. Two years ago, Friday, two days ago, was the second anniversary of his death. Um, he was like a brother to me. He was, he was as close as my actual brother and my parents. Um, and it was tough. There was a lot of pain, myself and his family and his kids. It's awful losing someone you love. And those of us that have lost a family member, a spouse, a parent, a child, we know what that feels like. Jesus was grieving. And the crowds followed him. He couldn't catch a break. And that brings us to where we are in this passage. Now, I know where I was after I lost my best friend. I was not in the frame of mind to deal with people asking for handouts. So let's continue. Verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Mm. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus, now, I'm reading into this a little bit, but I can totally see just Jesus here, just exhausted, loving on this people, suffering this massive loss in his life, replying, they don't need to go away. Give them something to eat. And I can totally see the disciples here. Now, again, I'm reading into this, but we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Dot, dot, dot. Right? Can you hear it? And Jesus says, all right, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, we probably have heard about this miracle. Notice, though, in those times, right or wrong, this is the way it was, women and children weren't counted in a crowd size. It was just the men. So most estimates that I've read estimate that this crowd probably had 15 to 20,000 people in it once you account for the women and, and likely the children that were with their parents. This is a massive crowd. It's a familiar passage for us today. I want to ask a question that we probably haven't thought about and is a little bit random here. Whose loaves of bread and fish did he collect? We don't know. We don't know. And the Bible doesn't say, and it's not really the main point of this story, but I want to bring that to your attention because out of this we are going to gleam something really important. I've already said this crowd was massive, and it was getting late. Um, <laughs> do you get, if you've gone really a long time without food, do you get hangry? Uh, my husband will be the first to tell you to stay away from me if I'm, I'm reaching that point. I, I sure do. I am not my best self if I'm gone a long time without food. But who's here with me, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, this crowd was a large crowd, and it was getting late, and they were getting hungry. 
And so I totally understand the disciples being concerned that they were going to start getting hangry and this crowd could become very challenging, right? And here they only had five loaves of bread and two fish. That wasn't even enough for them. Well, someone only had five loaves of bread and two fish. We don't know who. Maybe it was Peter. Maybe it was another disciple. Maybe it was someone in the crowd. We don't know. The thing I want to bring your attention to regarding this, though, is whoever it was, an individual or several people that donated a, a loaf here and there, they gave all they had. All of the food that they had were these five loaves of bread and two fish. They gave all they had, just like that widow that we just saw a moment ago. She gave all she had too. And look what Jesus does with it. Verses 19 through 20, again. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So what is the message here today? What's the connection between these two stories? Both of these stories show the fact, and I mean the fact, that when we give to God by faith what we can, God will use and bless our, our gifts in incredible ways. That widow did not know that her two small copper coins were going to be an example and an inspiration for billions of people over thousands of years. And whoever owned some of these five loaves of bread and two fish had no idea that Jesus was about to feed 15 to 20,000 people. There are promises all throughout the Bible by God that he will do this with your gifts. All throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, we're going to start there. Malachi 3.10, God challenges, to give, challenges us to give generously and even sacrificially at times. And I love this passage. It says, test me in this. It says Lord Almighty, test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Test me in this. Now, giving is not, and I repeat, not required for God's favor. You do not have to give to be blessed. But doing so makes your gifts even more beautiful to God because they're given out of love and not compulsion. You do not have to give, but knowing that, when you do, it is a beautiful, beautiful gift to God. Second Corinthians seven, excuse me, seven, Second Corinthians nine, seven through eight says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly. 
monetary blessings may not be the, the blessings that we're talking about here, all right? Let's be clear about this. I am not promoting a wealth gospel message here. You give and God's going to give you back more money. That is not what we're talking about. Yet, what scripture shows us and promises to us repeatedly is that God will honor our gifts and that giving can be such a beautiful act of worship. We don't think of it like that. But God does. One of the incredible things that Jesus did when he came to earth was to transform our understanding of what God wants from us. It's not about what we do as much as it is about where our heart is when we do it. Our actions and the what we do are going to follow where our heart is, where our focus is. I spoke earlier about a time when I first started dating the person who later became my husband. And even before I knew it, my friends saw a change in me. My time, my attention, my priorities, they all realigned. I didn't say anything, but they saw how my actions changed. Now think about this. My actions did not realign because they had to. I had just met this person. They changed because I wanted to. And it's the same as these people in the scriptures that we've read about today. It was the same with these people. They chose to be generous and gracious as an expression of their faith. They didn't have to, but they did. And it can be the same with you. So, let's be real for a moment, all right? Does thinking about money in the church, does the fact that I'm talking about giving today, does thinking about donating to a church make you uncomfortable? When donating to a church or any organization, I would say, I, I, it's okay to be skeptical. In fact, I think that's healthy. Actions speak louder than words. I've already said that, right? So I would encourage you to examine the actions of any organization you're thinking of giving to. Look at their behaviors, their activities. Look at what they stand for. That is entirely appropriate. If you're considering, for those of you that are considering whether to give to Forefront as part of your spiritual worship, you can see how your gifts and tithes are used. The leadership here at Forefront are tr very transparent with the church's finances. Vinita, Mac, and Josh make up our executive council and are open and welcome your questions. And honestly, I think any one of the leadership team members would as well. Here I am volunteering all of them, right? Easy for me to do, but, um, but they are all honest and transparent and happy to have a conversation with you. If you have questions, just ask. Forefront's transparent, just ask. Don't let your skepticism be a barrier to realizing the blessings that God has for you. And don't let your skepticism be a barrier for those who would be blessed through you. Can we imagine for a moment how we can be more of a blessing to others.
Is it donating? Is it providing unused clothing that's just clouding up your closet to a charity? Is it volunteering your time? Is it giving someone a hug or a friendly smile? Do we need a realignment of some sort of the place that giving has in your life, in our lives? We are here today because of the sacrifices of many that came before us to establish and cultivate this church. Some of those individuals we know. Many we do not and we never will. Tens of thousands of people, and I mean tens of thousands, gave and through their donations, this church was started and sustained, yet have never set foot in this church. We don't know who they are and we never will, but because of their giving, we're here today. You're here today. God blessed those gifts and those sacrifices. And he's blessing us as a result of their gifts and sacrifices. One of my favorite quotes of all time is, someone is sitting in the shade today because someone else planted a tree years ago. Mm, that's beautiful. Someone is sitting in the shade today because someone else planted a tree years ago. We here are able to sit in the shade that Forefront and this community provide. We can experience grace and love, goodness and kindness, openness to asking the hard questions about our faith, questions that we weren't safe or felt safe to ask elsewhere. My husband and I were able to get married in this community. We're able to sit in the shade formed from this tree that some other people planted years ago. Church, can we also be a brave, love-filled, and gracious community? Our actions indicate our focus. Do we need a realignment? Can we entrust our resources to God and through faith plant trees for others who we will never meet? Let's search our hearts and make sure that we're in a place where we can plant trees so that they have shade to sit into. Ephesians 3, 17 through 21. As I'm closing up, this is the perfect passage. In it, it says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and Deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is work with, at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen pray. Lord, thank you for the gift you gave us through the sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you for the faith of the widow, which you have used to bless people for thousands of years and bless us today. 
Thank you for the sacrifice of whoever owned those loaves of bread and fish so that you could feed thousands. Thank you for those who gave and planted a tree that we're able to sit under today here at Forefront. I pray today that you open our hearts and make us a generous people who plant trees through our giving and our time and our hearts so that others will have shade to also sit in. In Jesus' glorious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.